0: You know, when I uh, started Cornerstone Church down in Southern California back in 1994, um, I didn't really think about this. I didn't think about what God wanted in a body of believers and the way He wanted them to interact with each other. All I thought about was the preaching of the Word of God, not backing down, and trying to get as many people to the church as possible. At that point in my life, I didn't think uh, seriously about what the Bible said about a body and how we're supposed to live like a family and, and about how we're all an extension of each other. And 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 so, so now to start looking, okay, so Aaron, it would be like a... a like we're connected, and so anything that that hurts him should hurt me, you know, just like a finger or an arm or or whatever else, and to start looking at the body that way, that that, you know, if God had it his way, that's the way we would act. It's like, man, that's my brother, that's my sister, any pain she's going through, I... I'm connected to that. any, any uh, victory she's going through, any joy, I would feel that and, and we would sense that amongst one another so that we just never we would never ditch a part of our body. Um, and if a part of our body is sick, we do everything to, to bring them, you know, restore them back to health and to take that that pain away. and, and usually that pain's caused by sin or whatever else and, 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 and so we care for another you know, confront one another when necessary, encourage each other, just just everything, all the one another's in the Bible. And and so what we're striving for is, is just that, is that, okay, how can we live this way? And um, the next eight weeks, we're going to focus on us as leaders and future leaders because I just believe everything rises and falls with leadership. Um, I, I have to look at my own life and go, man, how's my connection with God? Am I, am I walking closely with Him? You know, is, is it evident that, that, man, that I'm not just up here in the flesh trying to do something on my own? Is it, is it, is it, is it obvious that God is with me? Am I living that type of life and is my, my communion with Him that close? Um, because that's going to be passed on to other people. It's just, it's just natural. Those of you that are parents know that even if you don't try to pass on your character traits to your kids, it happens. And so I always look at the leaders because I go, okay, how I am, it's gonna, it's gonna pass on to the church. And so if I get busy doing a bunch of stuff and I'm not communing with God, guess what our church is gonna start feeling like, okay? And, and you as leaders are gonna start thinking, because I'm gonna be imposing that upon you in some ways. And in the same way in your life, as you start leading these other people, man, your, your character is gonna be passed on, whether, whether, you, uh, whether you want to or not. And so the, the next eight weeks aren't so much like, okay, here's what you do, here's what you do, here's what that's what we'll do during the second half of the sessions. But what I'm going to be talking about is the character side. Because it's my belief that I would always rather have a godly leader than a good plan. Because you have a good plan, with an ungodly leader, it's going to fall apart. But if you got a godly leader, even if he has a stupid plan, <laughs> it just works still. I mean, that's, that's, that's what scripture is, right? I mean, it's it's not about these great plans like, hey, let's go to the edge of the Red Sea. You know, it's about a, a connection. You know, that leader has a godly connection, a relationship with God that even when he's in trouble, hey, just dip your staff in the water and watch what happens. Hey, just march around the city seven times. That'll work. You know, It's just why? Because you know God. Just get on your knees and you'll be able to call fire down from heaven. These aren't wise human plans. It's not like the, the disciples got together and said, I got it. When everyone comes from other countries, let's just start talking in different languages. It wasn't this, this brilliant plan. It was a bunch of people coming in the presence of God and going, man, let's just seek Him. Let's just seek Him. Let's just try to become like Him. Let's, let's just follow His commands as closely as possible, and then let's see what happens. And suddenly it's like, man, fire falls down from heaven, right? And they start speaking in all these unknown languages, and people from other countries are going, what happened? And that's been my experience. Man, that's been my experience in life. All the greatest things that have happened, I kind of stumbled upon. And it wasn't from great planning. I'm not against planning, I plan. I, it, it's just my plans never really, really seemed to work. Um, you know, so I, I just thought, you know what, day by day, let me just walk in the Spirit, try my best, but it's about character. And that's why, for the next few weeks, it's about character, character, character. Because I actually believe that what the Bible teaches is character guarantees success in ministry. And what I, what I mean by this is in 2 Peter Chapter 1, um, verse 5, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that passage. I mean, I study Second Peter 1 sometimes, you know, because first he starts talking about how we have everything we need. You know, uh, you know, earlier that everything, verse three, his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So he's given us, I, I've got everything I need for life and godliness. You have everything you need for life and godliness. He talks about how he makes us partakers of the divine nature. And, and then he says, so make every effort to keep growing in these areas. Because if we keep adding to your faith virtue and virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, brotherly love, love. It's like if you do this, he says, it guarantees you, it keeps you from being ineffective or unfruitful. In your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. See a lot of times when we're not successful we start planning and think okay maybe I should do this maybe I should do this maybe I haven't said this and again I'm not against all of that I'm just saying what scripture says is the guarantee is through character. So if there's like if any of you if, if you really know God deeply and you're pursuing this life of holiness, as he's described in these areas, I don't really have to worry about you. Um, There's going to be fruit. Fruit's going to happen. It's like a a healthy apple tree. It's going to produce fruit. It's just going to happen. Just just get that tree healthy. You know, it's not like, make some fruit. You know, it's just, let's just get that thing healthy and... I mean, you know people like that, it's, it's, it's almost eerie, like wherever they go, things just kind of happen. They're not even trying. Meanwhile, you, you, we've all tasted the other side, right? Where you fight and you fight and you fight and nothing happens. And that's why it's like, okay, let me look at my life. Am I seeing this type of effectiveness for the kingdom? And if not, it's not, let me read a strategy book let me look at my character for a little bit. Am I really growing in these areas? Am I adding to my faith this type of virtuous lifestyle? Am I adding to it, you know, the the knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love? So again, it's like let's let's focus on us. Let's focus on our character. Um, people are going to take on your characteristics, and so. These are kind of the eight things that we've kind of, there were seven and I went to China and I learned some from the underground church. there. I'm like, whoa, that's huge. So we added an eighth one. Um, There might be nine by the time we get there, but uh, these are just the things I go, gosh, this seems predominant in scripture of what a leader has to be. And so we go with that because it's gonna get passed on. And again, those with kids, man, isn't it crazy? How your characteristics get passed on to your kids, and 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 the times when your kids bugged you, you go, oh, but I know why he's like that. That's you know, like, like it's no, it, it's no, it, you know, like when my kids start acting a little arrogant, it's like, ah, oh, I know where they get that from, Lisa. You know, it's it's just it's so obvious these types of things. So, um, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, The first week, this week, we're talking about the Christian leader, and I know that sounds almost like dumb. Um, Why would you even list that as a characteristic? And I would just say, because I've been in ministry long enough to where I just, I'm not going to assume that you're all Christians right here. Um, Just because someone takes the title of pastor doesn't mean they're saved doesn't mean they really know Jesus. And just because even if people lifted you up as a church leader your whole life, and maybe you even do so much for the kingdom, Jesus made it plain, right? Many are gonna say in the last day, but Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do this? And he's gonna say, depart from me, I never knew you. Like, I, I don't know you. Yeah, you were in the church, if you want to call that a church you were there and you attended these services every week and yes you helped with child care once a month or whatever else and yes your parents were this and that or your wife or your kids or whatever and yes they made you a deacon or an elder or whatever they made you but i never knew you um and 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 so i don't assume okay and i, I think a lot of our problems in some of our our churches is that we assume the guy up front, because he's up front, he must be a godly man. He must really know God. He must be a Christian. Otherwise, why would this be a Christian church? Um, And I think some of that, I I gotta say too, is some of us grew up in a time or maybe we heard the gospel from someone who says, hey, pray this prayer. Accept Jesus into your heart, and you're going to heaven. I mean, this is how it happened to me, okay? I remember going to an outreach, and uh, I remember they said, if anyone doesn't want to go to hell, um, come forward. I remember going forward, and uh, and they paired me up with this little old lady. I don't know her name, but I can still picture her, just little and old. and. and she said pray this prayer with me i prayed that prayer and then uh i said so that's it i'm going to heaven and she says yes and i remember she read uh first john five thirteen 13 um, to me first john five thirteen that says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life Okay? So, see, that verse right there tells you that God wants you to know that you have eternal life. Now, I'm not, I'm not making any statements as to whether or not I was saved at that moment or not. Okay, This is not about that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I know I believe in him now. I know I'm in love with him now. I know he's everything to me now. Um, at that moment, though, what I'm questioning is, is, is the usage of this verse. First of all, I'm questioning the idea of where does it say in the Bible to pray a prayer and accept Jesus into your heart, and then you get to go to heaven? You know, I mean, they took uh, John 1, verse 12, yet those who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God, you know, or those who believed in names, he gave them the right to be called children of God. And so he says, so we receive him, and we receive him through prayer. And and again, I'm not saying we can't receive him through prayer, I'm not saying it's wrong to just say, you know, come to a point. I encourage people, gosh, if you really believe this, get alone, you know, just, just come before God himself and tell him. Yes, God, I get it. I sinned against you Oh Man, there's just so much garbage in my life, and and I've rebelled against you. I get it. I deserve your punishment, but I believe you sent your son to die for me on that cross, and that wipes away everything, and I'm going to trust in him. I want him in my life. You know, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing to do. I encourage people to do it, but the proof of our salvation isn't that we just said those words. In fact, if you look at 1 John chapter five and that verse she read, and you read it in context of the whole book of 1 John, those who have read 1 John, I mean, what is 1 John doing all through this book? In chapter one, verse uh, six, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you guys catch that? If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. So just because someone says they have fellowship with God, if their walk is still in darkness, he says, that person's a liar. Verse verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So those who would say, no, I'm a good person. I don't don't have sin that I need to be forgiven of. He says, well, the truth's not in you then. Chapter 2, verse 4, whoever says I know him, listen, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So if someone says, oh, no, I know him, I know him, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, what does the Bible say about that? He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is all First John. Uh, look at verse uh, 9. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. It goes on in verse uh, 16, 15. 16. I'm sorry, my eyes. 15 and a half. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Chapter 3, verse 6, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Uh, Verse 14, at the end of 14, whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Chapter 4, verse 6, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Uh, Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Uh, For he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, who who, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then, chapter 5, you get to verse 12, whoever has the Son has life, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Then you get to that verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, so you get the context of that. He's shown, look, here's how you tell if you're a believer. Look, if you hate, if you don't love the people... In the In this room, if you just continue on in your sin, I don't care if you say you know him. I have such sweet fellowship with him. On and on and on. He says, that's a liar. He's a liar. He's a liar. He's in darkness. He doesn't really know him. He doesn't love. He doesn't really know him. And then at the end of the book, he goes, I wrote these things so you could know. Okay? So it's not just this, hey, he wants everyone to be sure of their salvation. No, he wants everyone to look at their actions and go, oh, man, I know I'm a, I know I'm a believer because look at what God's done in my life. I used to hate. I, I, I used to walk in darkness. I used to be these things. And then God changed me. And now I've got this deep love for you guys. When I see people in need, it's like, man, I just want to care for them. It's like God changed something in my heart. And John says, yeah, see, I write these things. For those of you who believe, I I want you to know. I want you to be confident of it. But the confidence comes from all of everything he wrote in 1 John. So you go, okay, yes, I'm one of his. And so that's where I go, man, I don't want to be one of these preachers who just wants to give you assurance because you prayed a prayer. It doesn't seem like I see that in scripture. Um, In fact... uh, this week, we were reading in Jeremiah, right? Those of you who've been keeping up with the reading, and, and in Jeremiah 6 and in Jeremiah 8, God gets angry at the prophets who keep saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, right? Remember that? He's like, man, why are you telling them that they're good? Why are you telling them that no destruction's coming their way? And, and then for those who did the reading this morning... Um, in, in this morning's reading, I thought it was interesting because uh, we're in First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I don't know if you caught that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. It says, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. It's like, boom, you could be sitting there. like We could be sitting here, And then Liz could just start screaming, "Ah, you know, like labor pains could come upon you. Like, like, it's like, no, we're good. We're good. We're just having a little session right here. But you don't know. That would be crazy. Prophetic. (laughs) Um, Wow. Little Juby would be born. Um, So it's, but, but it's, 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 it was crazy to me reading that passage going, man, that's the same thing that. They were saying in Jeremiah's day, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And here in 1 Thessalonians 5, people are going to be saying, hey, don't don't worry about the judgment of God. We're not like those fire, hell, and brimstone preachers. You guys, this is the stuff that... um, I don't know, it hit me pretty hard reading Jeremiah this week. Because God was telling Jeremiah, look, no one's willing to say this. But I'm telling you, say it. Throw it out there. Um, I love that we read through the Bible every year. And I know it's a lot of reading. But there's something about reading the whole counsel of God's word. And I've heard from some of you, you know, every year when we get to, you know, the major prophets. It's like, ugh. Judgment, judgment, <laughs> you know, when is it going to end? Give me some good news. And, and you, when you read through the Bible every year, you see there's a lot of judgment in this book. I mean, I think it's majority judgment. Like there's more spoken about judgment than there is about the blessing. But if, let's say, let's say only half of it is judgment and half of it is, you know, reward, then why are 99% of sermons about forgiveness? ever think about that it's it's because we don't want to talk about it i don't want to talk about it i'd like to say peace peace you know hey everything's good i want to just talk about that good side but do you understand all through history i mean ever since the beginning you know god would make it very clear look here don't eat of that tree if you eat of that tree here's what's going to happen to you there's a warning Along with hey, but here be fruitful, multiply. Look, it's just going to be a good thing. You know, follow me in this way, and there's going to be blessing. In, in Deuteronomy 27, you know what they used to do in Israel? They'd split up the tribes, and, and it talks about in Deuteronomy 27. And they put half of the tribes on on Mount Ebal, and then they put the other uh, six tribes on Mount Gerizim, and uh, and they would, you know, on Mount Ebal they would they would cry out the curses like. Cursed are you if you do this, you know. And then from Mount Gerizim, those tribes would say, But blessed are you if you do this. Like it was equal time, it was equal air time. We're going to tell you this is what every prophet did. They warned here's what's going to happen if you don't obey, and here's the blessing if you do obey. Here's what happened if you don't obey. Here's what happens if you do. It's always both, both. And then Jesus. You know, Luke 6 gets on the mountain, you know, on the Sermon on the Mount. And what does he do? Blessed are you, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Then it's, woe to you when all men speak well of you, because that's the way they treat the false prophets. But blessed are you when they insult you and say all these terrible things about you. He's going back and forth, right? Blessed are you, cursed are you. Then you get to Matthew 25, right? And Matthew 25 is that great white, you know, that great great judgment where, where the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all his angels, and he sits on his throne. And he says to the one side, man, to the sheep, man, I was hungry, you fed me. You know, and then he says to the other side, No, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. And then these go into this eternal bliss, and then these go to this eternal torment. And then you read the book of uh, Revelation, and it's about, man, these extremes of God's cursing to God's blessing. So that's the way it always has been, always will be, and yet we live in a time when we're told, let's not talk about judgment. And people even self-righteously will go, well, I'm not one of those preaching the judgment of God guys. I'm more on the love side, you know? And I go, but the apostles seem to be loving, and they warned of God's judgment all the time. The prophets, are you saying the prophets weren't loving, and therefore they talked about destruction? Are you saying Jesus wasn't loving, and therefore he... It, you know, and that's why he would talk about you know being tormented and that's why he would talk about being cast into utter darkness and thrown into this. No, it, you gotta understand the prophets, the apostles, Jesus himself, because they love, they warned even more deeply and more emphatically. So you could self-righteously go, well, yeah, but I don't wanna be one of those hellfire brimstone guys, I wanna be more loving and not talk about that side. And I, I go, okay, you might be right, but just know you're doing the exact opposite of all the prophets, apostles, and Jesus. But you could be onto to something. You, you know, it's just, let, let's just face it. I don't want to talk about this. I don't, I, I don't want to talk about it. It's like the last thing I want to talk about is the judgment side, because that's the world we live in. But that's what he was telling Jeremiah. He was like, hey, tell those guys that are making those idols that that it's stupid. I'm sorry, that just doesn't fly today. But the truth is, I bet you didn't fly back then either. This is what we're called to talk about. This is is nothing new. Um, I think it started with the serpent in the garden saying, did God really say you're gonna die? To eat of this, you know, and that same lie has been working for thousands of years and our generation is totally bought into it to where it's like, hey, let's not talk about the negative consequences. Let's get rid of Mount Ebal. Let's get rid of Jesus's woes. Let's get rid of, you know, let's just jump to Revelation 22. You know, let's just talk about the good part or the part that we like. And I just don't believe it's the most loving thing. Um... And so that's why with salvation I didn't want to just come up here and say, hey, as long as you call yourself a Christian, as long as you prayed your prayer at some point, as long as you went in the water and made some sort of confession, we're good. Man, I want to look at you and go, listen, you guys, people get into ministry for all sorts of different reasons. And people end up in church gatherings for all sorts of different reasons. But then there's those who know Him and really love Him from within to where we go, look, I don't care if all of you ditch God. Like, I know Him. I know Him. Like, I believe deep inside of me that Jesus really is the Son of God. He really did die on that cross. I'm ready to follow Him. That You know, in, in Acts chapter 2, You know, I think we have a great outline there where um, when Peter preaches his first sermon and it says that the people were cut to the heart and say, what do we do? They're like, okay, okay, I get it, Peter. I get it, Peter. We want this. Now, what do we need to do, you know, there in Acts 2, 38 through 42? And he says, repent, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But those three things, repent, be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there we have in that sermon, you know, stuff that's repeated all through the New Testament. Repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet, when I was growing up, when we presented the gospel, we didn't talk about repentance, we didn't talk about baptism, and we did not talk about the Holy Spirit not crazy i mean did that ever hit you like wait then who came up i don't know i don't know who came up with it but we just kind of all bought into it and i'm just going wait but repent is kind of a big deal um that's what john the baptist That's his first words you know, Jesus, that was the first thing that he was saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And, and then, you know, and then here's the first sermon by Peter, what's the first, repent. It's this turning, and then then you, you even, you know, you, you get to the last book of the Bible, even Revelation, uh, you know, Revelation chapter two, verse, verse five, remember therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And um, verse 16, it says, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. This whole idea of repentance means you turn, right? Okay, It's, it's, it's a 180. You're living for yourself. Repent means to turn. You know, it's, it's I'm living for me, everything I want, here's my dreams, here's my aspirations. I meet Jesus, and it's like, no, I'm following you now. I'm walking the other direction. And then, you know, so, so it's, it's, you can't just keep living life the way you were living. You make a decision when you encounter Jesus and trusting him, believing in him. It's about saying, no, I, I, I've decided to follow Jesus. Okay? And that's why Jesus, when he called his disciples, like, follow me. It's a decision. I'm deciding to follow you. When he called the disciples, he didn't just say, pray a prayer and accept me in your heart as some sort of vague thing. It was like, no, literally follow me. Are you ready to die to yourself and follow me? And that's what the picture of baptism was. Um, baptism, we, we see a good explanation in 1 Peter chapter 3, that... The baptism we're talking about, 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 21, it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, but but if you go uh, up a few verses... Um, verse, well, just up one verse, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what's he saying? Baptism, he says, saves you. But it's not, it's not about this act of going in the water and the water somehow washing away your sins, but it's about the picture that it represents. And, and he uses the example of Noah. You know how God's destruction was coming upon the world? And yet who was saved from God's destruction? It was those eight people that climbed into the ark. And it's that same picture now. He's saying, okay, now, you know, just like that ark took them through the storm in the same way Jesus now, in a sense, is our ark. And my baptism is a baptism into Jesus. It's like me climbing into Christ and saying, I'm one with him now. I'm safe now because I'm in Jesus. I'm in Christ. I, I climbed into the ark and he does all of the work. I'm, I'm in there. And he goes, that's the picture. That's the baptism picture of you climbing in, um, becoming one with Christ. Uh, You you know, Romans talks about, you know, dying to yourself and coming alive in Christ. And then a Holy Spirit passage, and um, I'll end with this in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Continue. So then, brothers, we're not debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, you see, something happens when we repent, decide to climb into the ark, which is Christ, through baptism, and we receive the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, internally, something happens where, and and I I still don't know how to describe this, where it says, in your spirit you cry out, Abba, Father, it's like this security that you have, like my kids have with me, where they just know, that's my dad, I don't doubt that he's my dad, and I can climb up on, st- wherever he is, I can go to dad, that Abba, Father, and then this power that you have to where I don't have to live in my sin anymore. I, 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 can, I can put it to death. I've got power over it. That's why, you know, in First John, when he starts listing all of those things, he's like, man, you, I don't get it like you can't know him if you don't have if you just keep on sinning and it doesn't bother you like if it's just a lifestyle of sinning how can you say you know him because once the spirit enters in you he makes you a slave of righteousness and 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 you 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 you, you don't live according to the flesh anymore and so the reason why this is this is so huge is look when a person becomes a believer the holy spirit enters into If, if the spirit of christ isn't in you like that passage says you don't belong to christ okay so there's none of this well i'm a christian i just don't have the holy spirit i know he says no if you don't have the holy spirit then you don't belong to him there's something about that's the seal that's the proof but when he enters into you you change like internally that's why like when i gave my life to jesus and My youth pastor, I remember him telling us things that we needed to do or change or whatever. He'd read from the Word. Like, he didn't have to beg me, right? I wanted it. I would pursue him. Like, dude, tell me more. You know, like, I want to know more about God. I want this. Why? Because something happened inside. See, this is so, so big because I think a lot of times, don't you feel like you're forcing people to do something they don't want to do. And those are the times where I go, man, we can waste a lot of time trying to force people to do something that isn't inside of them, that they don't want. Man, those of you that I know pretty well in this room, the reason why you're in this room, because I've seen that when I present the word of God to you or someone confronts something in you, you actually want it. It's not like we're pressuring you when you're like, no, 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 all right, fine, I'll do it. No, it's, it's, it's this desire. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but there's just your nature from the inside out. And I think in churches all the time, we waste a lot of time trying to get unbelievers to do Christian things versus, you know, that, that was the whole point of the parable of the soils. It's like, why am I pouring all this fertilizer and water on the sidewalk? It's not taking root. Why am I going over to the rocks and trying to create something and make something happen? Something might, it's, you know, let me focus on the good soil, because if I go to the good soil and I, you know, cause, cause Jesus is a sheep, hear his voice, they know him and they follow him. So if you present that life giving word to some people, they're going to soak it up. We've all had that experience, right? You can tell the same thing to two different people. One person's like, oh, thank you, I needed that. And the other person, it just completely throws it off. Why? It's about an internal change. This is not about a program where it'll work for anyone, you know, because there's just enough rules uh, attached to it. This is about a complete life change where a person repents, gets baptized, The Holy Spirit enters into them and then you see it. You see the difference, there's a result there. And so yes, are we saved by the blood of Jesus? Absolutely, not by any works whatsoever. Um, We're justified by, by grace through faith, okay? It's not about works, but when we believe for those of us who believe that that word "believe" carries with an idea of trusting, it's, it's, it 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 involves an action. It's not just some sort of yeah. You know, if, if it was on a true/false quiz, I I would I would put a T, or maybe I'll put a T with a little mark because I might pretend it was an F. You, you know, it's, it's it's not one of those. We've done that, right? Uh, it, you know, it's it's not just this intellectually, Yeah, I think I, I think. No, it's this trust, like, no, he died on the cross for me, and now that I see what he's done, I'm walking away from my old life, and I'm going to follow him. Uh, I'm going to follow Jesus now. I trust him. I trust that his words are good. I trust that his laws are good. Um, he's, he's my father. He's, he, this, is, this is it. Um, it's a repentance. It's a Man, I'm climbing into him for my salvation. I'm not trusting in any other name. I don't think there's any other name by which I can be saved. I'm climbing in the ark. I believe this destruction's coming, but I'm safe through Christ. And he promised there in Acts 2 that this promise was for them, for their children, and those who are far off, that we would receive the Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit's the one that's going to keep me on track and uh, keep me moving in this way to where I can't walk away from him. I don't know about you guys, but I can't leave Jesus. I just can't. Um, Sometimes I'll even dabble in sin a little bit, and I'll get going down the road, and it's like, it drives me nuts. I can't live this way. And he turns me back. Why? Because I'm a slave to what's right now. And so this is the starting point for us. And I, I just, I don't want to assume that you guys know God. I think you do, because... Those of you who I know, I've, I've seen repentance. And like I said, you're the ones that when you hear the word of God, you welcome it. Um, and maybe you get mad right away, but then, you know, you sleep on it and you're like, oh, no, it's, it's right. I know, I know, I know. And you keep coming back. You know, I've seen that in you. But this is what we have to start doing with our people is out of a concern for them, go, hey, you know, I'm not trying to judge you or anything. I just get concerned because I read these passages and I'm like, man, I don't see that in your life. Like, and it freaks me out because I do believe in a judgment and I don't, I don't want that for you. I mean, you think I want to tell you, hey, I don't know if you're a Christian. Or not. I'm just telling you, I look at your life and I read some of these passages in scripture and it just scares me. Man, I remember having that exact talk with the guy that brought me to church over 30 years ago. I give my life to the Lord and then I look at him. I'm like, dude, you're my best friend. You know, I love you, but I get concerned because I read this book and then I look at your life and I'm like, man, do you know him? And, and he walked away from the church, you know, and walked away from me 30 years. And then a couple weeks ago i baptized him you know like 30 years later and so now that i'm getting these texts and these emails the last few weeks that i'm just man it's it's like the it's like a dream come true the things that he's writing like man my kids see it my wife we're all different now we're changing we're you know i'm so in love with god i'm in his word there's everything and i'm like are you kidding me 30 years later but but that loving talk where you, you know, like a doctor going, man, I see all the signs, you know, of, of cancer or AIDS or whatever. I'm not judging, I'm just really concerned for you. In the same way, we're looking at scripture and going, gosh, the person that knows God, it, it seems like, according to scripture, it's like they take on a new life. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, you know? But I'm looking at your life and I'm not seeing that much a difference, and I'm just concerned because I love you, Um, it's okay and even a good thing to say that to people, and they may not take it at the moment, and it might be 30 years later that they remember something you said, and remember a lifestyle that you lived, and you got to remember the Bible does say that there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and a narrow road that leads to life, And so that's why we don't want to be the types of people that refuse to talk about the wide road and are always just saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace, and promising peace and safety. And at every funeral saying, I know he's in a better place. I know she's in a better place. How do you know that? Man, did you see it in their life? See, I I, I was sharing that with our Church this morning, it's like, man, I just don't want to do another funeral where I go. I don't know, probably. You know, because I'm not going to say it if I don't know. If I didn't see the life and there wasn't the confidence, I don't say it. I go, I don't know. Let's worry about you right now, you know. And that's the way I do my funerals. I, don't know. I don't want to do that with you, you know, because the Bible says, look, a good tree is going to produce good fruit. You're going to be able to tell by the fruit they bear. This is not stuff I'm making. I mean, show me if I took any of this out of context. I'm trying my best to read this in context and go, look, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. And because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, you'll see the result of that. Because I repent, I was baptized, the Holy Spirit came into me. And because of that, there's going to be fruit. It's going to happen. And as I make every effort to be that man of character, you're going to see more and more fruit. There's a guarantee that... uh, that, uh, that my salvation's there. And so I would encourage you as you lead your churches and as you lead your groups, start with this. You gotta start with salvation. I would encourage you, make sure you or one of your leaders has heard everyone's testimony in your church. Well, that's a great way to start, when you have them explain to you their relationship with God. Cause I've heard some crazy things, you know, of why people think they're Christian whether the family they were raised in or some sort of crazy theology, but they can't quote one passage of scripture, you know? And so sometimes it's just good to hear someone's story. And at the end of it, it may be that God's calling you to go, gosh, you put a lot of trust in your works. And I don't see that in scripture. I'm not hearing about how Christ saved you and the cross, because maybe some people have just been taught about works and not about the cross and there may be others who say no i prayed this prayer so i know i'm safe i know i'm secure even though there's been no life change and no proof of repentance anywhere it's like gosh a great opportunity to start talking to them because if we don't start with being a christian then we're just trying to force people you know that don't have the spirit of god in them to do things that may be nice and they may even want to do some of these things but what Christ has called us to is to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. And that's not something you're going to pull off unless the Spirit of God is with you. And so, man, if any of you have doubts about your salvation where you go, gosh, I don't know if I really know him. And I don't, this is... Being in this room, this is not the ark, okay? It's like oh, I'm with these guys, so I'm safe. No, it's about this, you know, you and Christ. And if you have questions or whatever, man, call me. This is the one group that I make myself available to. Is the pastors and um, and our future pastors. I can't, you know, people ask for my number everywhere, and I'm. Like, no, 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 like, I don't have time to disciple you. I don't have time to meet with you. But with this group, this is my priority right now in life. To where if any of you go, man, I'm really struggling here, man, give me a call and I'll, I'll make it happen. Um, we'll get the time together because you're the future leaders of the church. You are the leaders of the church right now. And uh, let's get this stuff right. And then, um, then we'll move on with our people. So...